I'm going to assume that most people in this room have taken a freshman English class. Yeah. Um, if not, you know, I, well, I hope you have, because if you haven't, then probably what I'm going to say isn't going to make sense. But, <laughs> um, okay. In freshman English, or I guess in most, like, writing or rhetoric classes, uh, there's three Greek little words that you learn about, and they're pathos, logos, and ethos. Does anyone remember these? Yeah, so I think pathos is an appeal to emotion, logos is an appeal to reason or logic, and then ethos is a word that means character or credibility. And I was just thinking about it, and uh, one of the things they teach you about ethos is that um, you have to make a personal connection with your audience before they can trust you. Um, they... So, like, they have to know something about you um, and hopefully be able to relate through that before they'll listen to anything else you have to say. And so as I was preparing for this lesson, I just kind of almost felt guilty of the fact that maybe, like, many of you still don't know a whole lot about me. Um, I don't put myself out there very much. At least I don't feel like I do. And um, so I just want to share a little about myself, I guess, in the form of my testimony. And then I just want to talk to you a little bit about Adam and Eve. And so for those of you that aren't uh, Bible drill whiz kids, yes, that means we'll be in Genesis, Genesis 3. And um, wow, I almost said Second Peter just out of habit. <laughs> yeah, so if you've been here the last eight weeks, you get that joke. <laughs> no, we will be in Genesis, not Second Peter today. Uh, but yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, and just so you know, I am used to a much more interactive teaching style. So if you have a question or if you feel there's something wrong with what I'm saying, just shout it out and we'll deal with it. Um, okay, so just a little bit about me. I have moved a lot, and I guess in some cases that might not matter, but I feel like it has a lot to do with my personality. I moved, I think, 12 times by the time I was 12 years old and a few times after that, so moved around a lot. I almost joke with people sometimes, like, um, I would say if I'm, like, going to write, like, a book of memoirs about, like, my crazy adventures as a youth, I'm going to entitle it Moving Right Along. I think it'll sell really well, but uh, just because of how much I've moved. And uh, it has, moving a lot growing up, uh, had its advantages and disadvantages. Um, I got to live in some amazing places, um, I feel like I also developed really good people skills at like a young age. I was just able to make friends uh, really fast um, because I had to do it all the time and because you didn't have a choice. If you were going to make friends, that's how you did it. Um, I either had to put my most likable self out there or just mope that time we moved and then try again the next time because I was sure that it would be right around the corner. Um, so one of the disadvantages that created was that um, I had a very terminal view of friendships. Um, I would shape my friendships around how much I could enjoy that person's company with as little personal and emotional investment on my part as possible. And uh, because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking six, eight months, I'll never see this person again. And uh, so even though I don't have that negative outlook anymore, it's still good for me to put myself out there, I guess, like in this context, um, just to be honest with y'all about, I guess, who I am, because some people forget to 
lock their doors or turn their lights off, I forget to let people get to know me. And so, uh, so we're moving and we're moving. And then one time, uh, my dad moves and the rest of our family doesn't. And my parents uh, separated for about three years and just like the middle of my preteen years. And uh, they, they tried to, you know, assure me and my sister right off the bat that they weren't looking at divorce, uh, at least right not at the moment. And, um, but of course, you know, as a teenager, the, you know, wheels are already turning in my head. But um, because, you know, I've already got this, you know, toxic mentality about relationships. And now it also applies to my family and not just my friendships. And, you know, my family is the one constant I've had in my life all these years. And so dad moved really far away. And I didn't see him for a while, but my sister was, you know, getting by in public school, and mom was working two jobs and everything to support us. So, uh, oh, and today's her birthday, so happy birthday, mom, wherever you are. Um, but uh, in every sense of the word, I was left to my own devices for a little while there, and um, I was just this angry adolescent, of course, and with no supervision because parents are either gone or busy. And it was just the most dangerous combination. And um, I wasn't seeking the Lord at this point. Um, our family, you know, we'd always gone to church. But, uh, you know, it was a very superficial Christianity, you know, that we just participated in because their parents participated in. I mean, the Lord eventually got a hold of me in the midst of all that. But um, I just, I guess, wanted to show you um, how he did that in Genesis so I guess pause on you know, testimony, and I do want to look at these scriptures real quick. Uh, so I guess we'll be in Genesis 3. We're going to start in verse 6, if you'll turn there with me. Make sure I have this right. All right, yeah. So Genesis 3. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Now let's just stop right there. So of course we know what's happening. We know that Adam and Eve are in the garden, and... uh, this is a pretty pivotal moment. I guess if I were to title this lesson, I would have to call it Naked and Afraid. I know it's an awkward title. But um, uh, yeah, Naked and Afraid. That's where Adam and Eve are in the garden. Okay, have, has anyone in here ever had that nightmare where you're naked and you're in front of a crowd of people or on a stage or something, any variation of that? I've never had that dream, but I feel like that's... I hear that, you know, that's a dream people have. And <laughs> in school. <laughs> See, I, I, I've never had that, but I imagine. I don't really need it. There we go. Sorry. Um, yeah. Naked and afraid. I think you can all relate to that if you've had that dream before. So there's something about being fully exposed that um, when our mind goes to its deepest, darkest place, like that's what it lands on. And um, 
let's see. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little sidetracked. Verse 6, I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. Okay, yeah, so verse 6 and 7, two very important things happen just between those two verses. Verse 6 is a turning point. Um, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and this is what we've talked about in discipleship school is the loss of innocence of mankind. And we can't fully understand the sovereignty of God, but because we understand that God is sovereign, uh, we know that the loss of innocence had to happen in order for um, the Lord to pave the way for the gospel. And um, I think that it, that's the most concisely I've ever attempted to put that point, which takes years to fully unpack and understand. But um, we're learning about it in discipleship school. And like Kendall said, if you are even remotely interested in dis- discipleship school, and if you want to get a spiritual roundhouse to the face every week, please just go and sign up. It will change your life. <laughs> but um, I start, I'm sorry if it feels like I'm glossing over some of these points. I'm just trying to tie it all together in a timely manner. But um, So we see the loss of innocence in verse 7. Or, I'm sorry, verse 6. And then what do we see in verse 7? Uh, I'm just going to read it again. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. So, they understand that they're naked. I think it's fair to say that they don't fully understand, that we don't fully understand uh, the true, the nature of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, either. But what we do know is that because of what happened there, that we are able to understand our own depravity at a biological level. Um, so there's a gain of something and a loss of something. We've gained, we've lost innocence, and we've gained an understanding of uh, good and evil. Um, we now understand what it means to be innocent and perfect, and yet we also uh, know and understand that we have fallen from that. In a philosophy class I took um, about the metaphysics of ethics, um, we learned about, I, I guess this was I guess just a worldly spin on that idea, about how there's no human being that could ever draw a perfect circle. We just don't have the, the steadiness of our hand or, uh, I guess, the vision to draw an actually perfect circle. But in our brain, we can understand the concept of a perfect circle. We understand what the perfect circle would look like if we could ever draw it, but we can't because we're in, uh, I guess, corrupted bodies, if you want to put it on that level. I just thought that was an interesting way to look at that. So, And I think that's just a good way to explain what changed when we understood. Um, I, I've heard people say that they would almost describe Adam and Eve before sin with almost a childlike demeanor because of the innocence that they have, that um, there's just, uh, I, I, you, could, you could call them opposites, I think, innocence versus having the understanding of the knowledge of good and evil. And um, Adam and Eve's immediate response is to cover themselves and hide because they don't want to be seen for who they really are. And that's what I want to look at in this next part because um, this is the lie that Adam and Eve bought into, and it's the lie that we still buy into today that we can only be fully known or fully loved by God or by anyone for that matter. So let's just keep reading verses 8 through 13. Um, But when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God uh, called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay. So I guess I just want to make sure that we see um, there's actually three different ways that we try to hide from God, or not to hide from God, but to hide. And we see all three of those in those five verses. Um, the first way we hide is we hide from each other. Uh, we see that in verse 7. Uh, so going back, uh, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. So right there we see Adam and Eve hiding from each other by making the loincloths for themselves. And um, I think this is the type of hiding that is most obvious um, because it's the only one where we are 100% proactively trying to hide. Um, this is the part where I ask you what the fig leaves in your lives are. Um, because uh, most of us know, I think, exactly what it is that we're trying to keep hidden about ourselves from the rest of the world. Um, I would, I guess, just encourage you to confront your fig leaves. <laughs> ask the Lord if you need to be handling these things differently in your life. And these are, I guess, things that are, I guess, just very specific in relation to the people in your life. Um, friends and just people whose opinions you, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Value. Thank you. I don't know why I just blanked on that. <laughs> okay. So we first hide from each other. And then secondly, we hide from God. And we see that in verse eight, I believe. Um, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, um, them, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Now this one, um, I don't even know if I need to say anything about. Um, I run from God when it is least conducive to my spiritual walk. Uh, so many times, the circumstances and struggles with sin that, um, I, that should drive me into God's arms, I use as a means to justify running away from him. Um, because I'm still operating out of shame, um, I'm still living according to that lie that um, if he fully knows me, he can't fully love me. Um, and just like Adam and Eve in the garden, um, all it does is make our attempts to hide look absurd. Um, because uh, he does know you uh, with more intimacy than I think we can even understand. And uh, he's never questioned his love for you. Um, so we see first that we hide from each other uh, next that we hide from God, and then lastly, we hide from ourselves. And we see this in 12 and 13. Um, let's see. The man said, to, uh, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Uh, so this is the one I think we all know is still us, and this is we see very clear examples that Adam and Eve are both making excuses. And um, they're blaming each other. And 
our excuses and our justifications in our mind are just an attempt to clear up this cognitive dissonance uh, that we've been feeling while completely ignoring the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is plain and simple, just operating out of the flesh um, from, I mean, what I see. Uh, I think I think the key here is just to, to not make excuses, um, and all it does is slow down your walk with God to a standstill. Um, just the fact that in this moment that Adam and Eve are both just throwing out these, these excuses at each other. Um, I told y'all that I was a very angry kid, um, but I was also very ashamed. Um, like Adam and Eve, uh, I could only, I, I could see my sinfulness very clearly. Um, and I guess just alone in my room one day, uh, when I decided that I was going to confess and pray, um, my attitude was that I needed to be, to, I guess, be able to resolve my sins as best I could before I actually, you know, met with God and, um, I was still trying to keep him from seeing and knowing the fully exposed me. Um, and when he uh, spoke to he actually spoke to me in that moment through uh, a song, which is uh, Take Me As I Am was the name of the song. And it just reminded me, um, he was saying that, you know, he doesn't require us to do that. Um, Romans 5, if, if you, I don't, sorry, I have a slide for this one. If you want to turn there, you can. I can just read it real quick. But um, Romans 5. Uh, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to read real quick. Let's see. Here it is. For while we were still weak, and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one uh, will scarcely die for a righteous person, uh, though perhaps for a good person one would even would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now than we are reconciled shall, shall, wait, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that just... I guess that was what I needed in that moment where I was trying to, like I said, resolve my sins before I came to Christ because um, I was ashamed. And uh, I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that's just been uh, the theme for me. And I guess the, the, the one of those three ways that I think I hide uh, from God the most is, or that I hide is that I hide from God the most. Um, so if you're to take nothing else away from this, just know that you are fully known and fully loved by God. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I just want to pray that real quick, if that's all right. Uh, Father, uh, you've sustained us even through our attempts to hide from you. Uh, more than that, you've given us life. Um, this idea of being liberated from all uh, pretense um, wars against our flesh uh, so help us to, to just rest in the truth of your unconditional love uh, allow your spirit to show us in very specific ways uh, what we are still trying to hide uh, from you 
and uh, teach us more each day how to how to love what you love and just hate what you hate, Father. Um, it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.